Sometime in your life, you've had some kind of doubt. So some moment when you thought, man, I had hoped for this, but I think this is probably what's going to happen. And I, I think back to all the way 1991 when I first made a decision to speak to my now wife, Robin, at the time clock at Walmart in Conway, Arkansas. And I thought, she's not going to want to have anything to do with a guy like me. But 31 years later, hey, man, I've been blessed. It's been a great adventure. My guess is you probably had doubt maybe when you tried out for that sports team and you thought, man, I really want to play, but I'm not sure I'm big enough or talented enough. But eventually you got on the team and you landed the spot that you were hoping to get. My guess is you've had moments of, of doubt when you thought once you got pulled over, there's a way I can talk myself out of this speeding ticket, I'm pretty sure, but it didn't come to fruition. There have been moments I know in your life when you have had doubt along the way, when you have thought, man, I'm not sure, but... This is what I'm thinking and hoping for, but this is probably the way it's going to turn out. That's kind of how I feel like John the Baptist felt in our story this morning, and it's in Matthew chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there with me. We'll be there in just a few moments, Matthew chapter 11. Because the thing is, is that we all have moments of doubt in our life when it comes to our spiritual journey. We wonder, in this season of hope, can we truly rely on God to be there like he promised is it true that the Messiah knows me and my name? Does he know my story? Is he walking with me even when, in moments when I'm not sure that he's actually there? And the thing is, when you begin to question God in your own life, it's so important to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And in this season of hope, that's what we're calling us all to, is to have that deep relationship with Jesus Christ. So important when we have our doubts and we put our faith in him. After all, the apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Man, that's such a powerful sentence, isn't it? I mean, if you've got your own Bibles, I would hope that's circled or highlighted or something in your Bible because it's so profound to know that we have a God who cares about us, who loves us and has given us hope for a new day. It's so important that we lean into that hope that only God can give us through his son, Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, what we don't want to happen is that the moments of doubt we have in our life turn into disbelief. We don't want that to happen. But we want to have the opportunity to walk with God in our story, to express maybe concern and doubt in moments when we don't quite fully see what he is doing. We've got to have that freedom to ask those questions, but that can only happen truly when you have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ. Last week, we launched this series, and the whole month we're talking about hope and the hope that you can have in the Messiah that we celebrate, that the world celebrates this time of year. It's God in the flesh who moved into our neighborhood, who journeyed with us, who lived among us. We have a God that loves us that much, that sent his only son to us. And that is a hallelujah moment, church. We can be excited that God loves us that much. But we ask the question then, what is hope? Well, it's this joyful expectation for tomorrow. It's this idea that just around the river bend, just around the corner, tomorrow is going to be something even better than today. That's what we feel God's promised us in his son, Jesus Christ. And hope moves us from day to day. It, it moves us along in our own story, in our journey. It helps us move to the next hour, to the next day, to the next year. And we have hope that God will keep his promises and know if we have a relationship with Jesus that he is a God who keeps his promises. 
But I know all of us have had moments of doubt in our, our life. What is God doing in my story? Where is he? I don't feel his presence necessarily. There, there was a, a Catholic priest in the 1500s who was feeling that way and put his feelings down on paper. We call that, that work the dark night of the soul. And essentially what it, what it says is this, I believe in a Messiah. I have faith and trust that God is with me and has my back, but I don't feel him very close to me right now. I believe but I'm wondering where God is. And my guess is that some of us in this room or maybe joining us online, you have had those feelings before too. I believe in the Messiah. In the, in the moment of the year that we celebrate, I believe that God loves me, but I'm feeling that I'm having to carry this burden and I'm not sure where God is in my story. And so today we want to shed the fact that there is hope in your story because of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist does that well for us in Matthew chapter 11. I want to give you a little backstory on John the Baptist, though. First of all, I want to quell any rumors that he's part of the Baptist church, John the Baptist. That's not, that's not true. No, he's called the baptizer because he is an evangelist. And he's calling Israel to come back to God. I want you to have a relationship with Almighty God. He's got your back. He hasn't left you. He's part of this incredible moment in your story that could change your life forever. And for those Israelites that made a decision to fully come back to God, John baptizes them in the River Jordan, and they begin to turn over that new leaf and begin a brand new life with God reigning supreme in their own life. That's who John the Baptist truly is. But you may not know that John the Baptist and Jesus are actually related. They are family members and only about six months apart. And so Jesus and John would have grown up together. They would have played together. Uh, they would have gone uh, to family reunions together. They would have gone to Jerusalem to celebrate festival time together. No doubt they had Passover moments together. They lived life together. Only six months apart, they would have been playmates. And so they knew each other very well. Now, John's parents are really old. They, they're, they're very mature, and so they haven't had any kids yet. Uh, and uh, the, the dad's name is Zechariah. He is a priest at the temple in Jerusalem. And John's mother is a, a lady by the name of Elizabeth. They've been praying to have kids their whole life, but it's been decades. And so they've kind of moved on and given up on it. When suddenly one day the story tells us that Zechariah is in the temple and he's lighting the incense. And as he's lighting the incense, the angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah. And Zacharias, or, uh, the angel says to Zechariah, the Lord has heard your prayer. And you and Elizabeth are going to have a child. It's going to be a son. And you're going to name him John. Well, Zechariah in his old age kind of chuckles a little bit. It's kind of the story of Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament. And because Zechariah has a little bit disbelief in the moment, the angel says, because you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to talk until John is born. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Well, eventually, John and Jesus meet for the first time. And what's really cool is they're both still in the womb of their mothers. Mary comes down to see Elizabeth. And the text tells us that when the Messiah even in Mary's womb, walks into the room that John the Baptist leaps for joy in his mother's womb. The Messiah has arrived. Jesus is present. Everything is about to change forever. There's going to be incredible hope in everyone's 
story. Matthew chapter 11, we find John the Baptist. He's grown now and he's in prison because he's been speaking out against the sin that's in King Herod's life. The king can't handle that and so he has John arrested, places him in a deep, dark prison. And so he's, he's in the space of believing that God has all the answers and is working things out in his own life, but finds himself in a dark space. And he's got some questions for God and the Messiah in the process. But before we get to our story, I want to give a little backstory of where Jesus is in his ministry. Because in Matthew chapter 9, what we see is Jesus doing incredible teaching and preaching to the masses. He is doing some incredible miracles He is helping the lame to walk again. He's causing the blind to be able to see. For those that can't hear, he's restoring their hearing. He's raising the dead. He's feeding those that are are hungry. He's giving this message of hope to those who have been kicked to the periphery of society, to the poor, and reminding them that God has not forgotten them. That's chapter 9. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus calls the 12 disciples together and then sends them out to give that message of hope that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so they're going to the villages and towns that are in front of Jesus. And so when Jesus comes into town, the crowds can gather and know, hear the message of hope that Jesus has to offer, which brings us to our story in chapter 11. We'll begin with verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Now understand, John the Baptist knows who the Messiah is. He's grown up with him. He knows who Jesus is. There's a familial connection, but there's also a theological and scriptural connection to both of them as well. You remember he's asking this question, are you the Messiah? Yet in Matthew chapter 4, John's the very one who baptized Jesus. And John hears the voice of God. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's a moment where Jesus is walking along the bank of the Jordan River in another occasion. And John points to his disciples and points Jesus out and says, there goes the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. John knows who Jesus is, the Messiah, and yet he's in this difficult spot. He's in a prison cell. He's burdened. He's in a dark place. He's asking, are you the Messiah? Verse 4. Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away from me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was it a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes. And he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he will prepare the way before you. I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet, 
Even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. John asks a question, are you the Messiah? And Jesus doesn't condemn him or put him down, but accepts the question, gives an answer, and then exalts him as one of the greatest prophets of all time. Are you the Messiah? John doubts. And there are some things I think that we can pull from our story today to help us in moments in our own life as we journey, as we believe in this Messiah, the one of God, as we know that God exists and is integral in our own story, but there might be places of doubt. There are things that we can pull from this story that help us in our journey and along the way in this season of hope. And the first idea is this, that even those close to Jesus have questions. Even those close to Jesus. You see, John's entire identity, his entire life has been to be a prophet and prepare the way for the coming Messiah. His job has been to lay the groundwork so that when Jesus begins his ministry, that Israel is prepared. He's very close to Jesus. Even those who are close to Jesus have some questions. And in our life, I know because I've talked with you and I watch the news just like you do and I see what's going on in the world around us. And while we do believe in the hope that is found in Jesus Christ, we too have questions. How in the world is there so much evil in the world? How do evil men rise to power? Why is there discord in Eastern Europe right now? How do kids die of starvation in Africa even today? Why are drugs rampant on the streets of America? And the list goes on and on for questions that we have in our journey, in our story. But I want you to to, to know that there is a difference between asking God questions and questioning God. We see that come come into full play with the story of Job in the Old Testament. Job, by all accounts, was an incredible follower of God. He worshiped God. He gave to God everything that was due God. He told everyone about Yahweh, his incredible God, and how they should follow him. Equally, the text tells us that that Job was the wealthiest man in the area of the world in which he lived. And one day, Satan comes to God and says, hey, if you let me take away all these niceties, you're going to find that Job is going to curse you and walk away from you. And God says, take your best shot. Well, sure enough, Job loses everything except his wife and three so-called friends. If you read the story, you know why I call them so-called friends. They begin to question Job. You know, Job, clearly you've done something wrong. You've done something against God. You know, you should just curse God and die and move on. And eventually, Job begins to ask questions of God as well. God, you know I love you. You know I've served you. I've worshipped only you. Why is this happening to me? And then about chapter 38, God kind of turns things around and begins asking questions of Job. Kind of puts him in his place, so to speak. But you know, Job is so devout. There's a verse where he says, although God slay me, yet will I trust him. No matter what's going on in my life, how dark the picture might be, I trust in my God. There might be a bigger picture that I'm not aware of, and so I'm going to lean into my faith in him. At the end of the story, it says that Job never sinned. He had lots of questions for God, but he never really questioned God. 
And what I found in my own life, my relationship with God when I have questions in my own life, it just calls me to lean in closer to the relationship that I do have with my almighty God. I mean, you may be asking this morning, well, what about you, Tim? I mean, do you believe all the time, 100% of the time? Church, on my best days, I still have questions. I don't have it all figured out. There are things going on in the world around me that I don't understand as well. But on those days, that's where this little thing called faith comes in. When you can't figure everything out, when you're not sure exactly what's going on, like Job, I'm going to trust in my God to get me through. And what we find out for the most part in our own lives is that hope and doubt often exist side by side. Hope and doubt often exist side by side. We see John in prison and eventually he's going to be beheaded. He's going to die. He's in this dark place where he has a relationship with God, but he's wondering what is going on. And my guess is in your own life, you've got that as well. Hope on one shoulder whispering in your ear, God is an incredible God. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He knows you by name. And on the other shoulder, you've got doubt whispering, is he really are you sure? Are you positive that he's got your back? But that space between hope and doubt is called faith. Believing things that we might not can prove, trusting the things that we really don't understand. And for many of us, we've had a rough two and a half, three years coming out of COVID. We've lost family members and friends that we love dearly. Some of us lost our livelihood and our careers. Others of us are still struggling with illnesses that we contracted in the past couple of years, and we're working through that. So when you have days when hope abounds, but then you have days of doubt, know that that is the space where faith grows deep. And church, I want you to know that while we are waiting on God's story to unfold, the Messiah is working. The Messiah is working. That is the story for John in Matthew chapter 11. John believed in Jesus, but because he was in a dark place, he had to hold on to that hope that he had in God's plan for the Messiah, like we introduced and talked about last week. And John got his affirmation by sending his friends to go ask Jesus. Jesus does some incredible miracles in front of John's friends and then says, go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. Jesus did not stop working while John was waiting. And so I asked the question this morning, what is it in your life that you are waiting on? Maybe for you, it's you're hoping for a stronger marriage and you're waiting for your, your life partner to come alongside you and do the hard work to make things right again. You're waiting on that moment to reconnect. Maybe for you, it's, it's you're waiting on your faith just to grow a little bit deeper. And you're wondering why that doesn't happen. But you're waiting on the Holy Spirit somehow to bless your life and your faith. You're waiting on your children who are now adults, you raise them in the church, you introduce them to Jesus Christ, they have a great foundation, but for whatever reason, your adult children have walked away from Jesus and you're waiting for them to come back home. For some of us, we're waiting for the end of that illness that we've dealt with for the past few months or maybe even years. We're wishing that would go away so we could move on with life. Maybe for you, you're waiting on that coworker 
to kind of come to the table to work some things out so that you can both pull in the same direction and you're waiting on that person to come and be a part of the conversation. For some of us, we're waiting on a stronger financial situation because we want to be able to move forward in our story. But remember, at the very end of the Old Testament, there is a book called Malachi. He's the last prophet that we hear from in our Old Testament. And the arrival of Jesus in the Gospels, they've been waiting on the Messiah. All of Israel has for thousands and thousands of years. But between Malachi and the Old Testament and Jesus arriving, who is the Messiah, there's 400 years of silence. Israel had been waiting. And in our story, Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting on a child for decades. And John, we find him in prison. And he has been waiting as well. If you ever find out in your own life that you have been waiting or you are currently waiting, I want you to hear it clear that you are part of the kingdom story. God has not forgotten you. He's not left you. He knows what you're dealing with and what you're going through and is walking with you. So we wait while God puts the pieces back together for us. You see, what we know in the end is that it's not faith if we see everything that God is doing around us. It's not faith. And Paul reminds us of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 where he says, For we live by believing and not by seeing. Or that very popular text in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 where the writer says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. And John is in prison asking, Are you the Messiah? I think I know you are, but I need a little confirmation. It's been a little while, but my grown boys now used to be little. That's when I was young at parenting. And both my boys, I don't know how this was for you in your parenting uh, scheme of things, but my boys ask a lot of questions, and it got tiring. Anybody else feel like that? Now, no parent in here is, well, some that their kids aren't present, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, my boys just ask questions 24-7, it seemed like. And I remember one particular day, they had asked, and I was, my patience was done. And I said, boys, why do you ask so many questions? And the youngest, Garrett, piped up and said, Dad, that's the only way that we learn anything. I felt about that big in the moment. But I'm reminded in our relationship with our Heavenly Father that we are His kids. And no good parent would rebuke their kid for asking an honest question. Jesus honored John by sending back eyewitnesses about his actions and then honoring him as the greatest prophet that ever lived. You see, what we're reminded in this story today is that just because God is silent does not mean that he is absent. Faith grows when we can... We can't see what God is doing. And so what it calls me to do as a follower is that I lean in closer to hear the voice of God in my life. And the way that I do that is by making sure that I'm journeying with you guys, rubbing elbows with other disciples of Christ who truly want to follow and be a part of God's kingdom. I'm with you. Or I'm digging into the word of God to see what God's calling me to do from his word. Or my prayer life gets a lot heavier and thicker because I'm dying to hear the voice of God in my life. In moments when it seems that I can't hear him, it makes me desperate for him. 
I want to hear God's voice in my life. And what was said last week is true this week. That hope is simply the ability to keep hanging on. To keep hanging on. And I don't know what you're dealing with in your life right now necessarily. I don't know the dark spot that you're, you're kind of trying to work through or what, where your journey is. But I want to encourage you this morning with the Messiah at your side to keep hanging on. And I want you to know that, that Jesus is coming back for me and you. The church, that, that's an exciting statement. But Jesus is coming back and he's coming back as a glorified, risen Savior who answers to no one and no thing. He has no rival. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is almighty and everlasting. And you and I can take hope in the idea that he knows you personally and he's walking with us in our story, even in moments where we feel darkness. Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He's the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And so this morning, as we close our time together, uh, I'm asking this question, these two questions uh, this month. And one is, what is God saying to you today through our narrative? Secondly, what do you need to do about it? Because my guess, there are some here in this room, maybe joining us online, that have never said yes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And what a great opportunity this holiday season to embrace him as your King of kings and Lord of lords. Knowing that the joy and the peace and the hope that you long for in your life can only be found in Jesus Christ. He is God's Son and our Messiah. Or maybe at some point in your life you said yes to Jesus and your desire to follow him has been thwarted somewhat because you've been distracted by the world around us. And so I want to encourage you to refix your eyes on Jesus. In this holiday season, take hold of the hope that only he can give you. And so as we celebrate that incredible Savior who is Jesus Christ, let's do that with one voice as we sing this next song to him. Our shepherds and their uh, wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. Go find one of them to pray with you as we sing this next song.